0: had an interview that they asked her Well, that they started with well of course she's the villain of the show but i'm like
1: what stop right there <laughs> <laughs> welcome to making it an opera a podcast about what it really means to find your voice and use it i'm your host gwendolyn coolman we're back with part two of my chat with ryan bryce davis where we talk about how her singing career started to take off, the full story on her film productions, and what she's learned from facing her fear and showing up to create her work anyway. At least, I think from the very first time I met you, which was briefly outside of Deutsche Oper Berlin with our mutual friend Calvin Lee, I think. And it was right after you had been to Turkey. And won the big competition and there was something you said or you said in an interview sense that was there was something to the effect of like not really feeling like it was going yet and then there was this acknowledgement from that competition and then it kind of started it started to flow
0: mm-hmm.
1: am I characterizing that at all correctly
0: yeah no completely I mean I um I did some 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 smaller young artist programs here in the states, but I didn't. I wasn't necessarily having the career that I wanted to have, um, and I was I was always very very uh, ambitious, and so I got this chance to do a Porgy and Bess tour in Europe, a tiny little role with you know, maybe a total of like 15 words. (laughs) Um, but through that, I got to be in all of these cities. Whenever I was in a city, I would go on opera base, find all of the managers in that city, write to all of the managers and like, I want to sing for you. (laughs) I'm like, you know, I planned this whole tour after the Porgy and Best tour. During that tour, I literally saved all my money. Everybody was like, we're in Paris, let's go to the Eiffel tower. And I'm like, I'll be here in the hotel eating peanut butter and bread, saving all my money so I can do auditions afterwards, <laughs> you know? Wow. And so, so when I met you, I was in that just afterwards, period, like singing for anybody who would hear me. Uh, the, the first big one was in Vienna, the Hildizadeck competition. And that's mm. when I connected with, uh, with Krista Ludwig and with with Hilda Zadek Zadek and um, you know all of some wonderful intendants. But that didn't necessarily, that that was like yay acknowledgement, but didn't turn into jobs.
1: <laughs> mm. mm-hmm. So
0: it's like even when you have these big like hoorays, mm-hmm. but there's still no jobs, <laughs> you
1: mm-hmm. know.
0: And so. Um, Even Turkey, when I met you, that was also a yay, but still no jobs. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it was, there's so many moments that it takes to actually build a career. um, Mm -hmm. And so many connections. So finally, after that, you never know what the big break is going to be that actually turns into something that's lasting. For instance... At Manhattan School of Music, I had a coach named Jean-Manette Sillier, who she was very busy. I barely ever got to coach with her. <laughs> she was an amazing coach, but I very rarely saw her. Uh, and then um, she eventually left MSM. And then three years later or whatever, I had an audition in an uh, opera ballet London. Sang my audition. She was the pianist because now she was a rep- repetitor in that house, but she knew me and we had always had a good rapport. And I had always come to you know coachings prepared, and she kind of knew my growth because she had seen me over a few years, and so she was able to vouch for me on the stage. I went back to my dressing room, but they kept the sound going so I could hear the conversation yes! what they were happening. <laughs> And she was like, "Yes, I know her. She's grown so much since I last heard her. She's a hard worker. Whatever you need, she can she can get it done." And so she was a person who could vouch for me, which was critical. Which is critical. We all need people who believe in us. Um, and so she was huge for me. Also, I found out that the judge from Turkey was the intendant for that house so he already knew me I didn't even know that until like way later but so many things have to align to create the thing that works because then that was my first job my first like fest contract in mm-hmm. Europe that therefore mm-hmm. led to everything else mm-hmm. but just showing up prepared and just being nice to people and not being dramatic I think is like so simple but actually is so important because you don't know who it is that you need to vouch for you in the future Mm
1: -hmm. and i'm curious about what keeps or what kept you going like you had this very motivated singular focus like i'm not going to go to the eiffel tower friends like i'm actually going to sit here and eat ramen um because i got some i i'm out for something bigger at the moment and i've been thinking about that and thinking you know what is it that keeps a person that keeps a person out for that and i think some of it is character but i wonder if some of it is i don't even know i want to hear i want to hear from you
0: i don't know it's it's always it's always been like that for me Uh, they asked in um when i was in school i remember we went around the room and they asked what is it that, what does making it look like in this career, you know? And so many Mm -hmm. people said really beautiful, meaning things like, I just want to share my art with the world. I just, you know, want to do something meaningful. And I was like, I want to sing at the best houses. I want to sing with the best conductors. I want to sing with the best singers and I want to be the best. And I was kind of a bitch about it. (laughs) But like that's what I wanted. And I was like that's what we're going to make happen. Did so... you want it
1: because it was the best or did you want it because you wanted that experience of making the art?
0: I wanted to be making art at the highest level. And you can make you need the best people to make art at the at the highest level. Mm-hmm. And I think that has grown into Because when you're on the road, and you're by yourself, and you go through some horrible, horrible experiences, it's the art that drags you through it, Mm. you know, Um, I remember um, all of your experiences feed something you'll always run into a character that requires some of the darkness that you went through, you know, Mm. to understand and to connect with that character. So I think over the years that maybe artificial goal has become deepened in a Mm. desire to experience something more meaningful, but it was very pointedly that's where I'm going mm-hmm. from the beginning. Mm-hmm. And that was that was my coming from, it was something I loved, but I wanted to do it at the highest level. Mm-hmm. And I was very practical about that.
1: Absolutely. That actually makes me think of something I heard you say about the character of Azucena and all of what she's gone through You told black women in opera, I respect Azucena. She experienced extreme trauma at such a young age and didn't have any easy options. I wish someone had given her a hug, justice and therapy. Mm. The racism, classism and sexism that she experienced were real and I respect that she did what she could twisted though it may have been to honor her family.
0: Yeah. People like to simplify her and be like, oh yeah, she's that villain. I had an interview that they asked her, well, that they started with. Well, of course she's the villain of the show, but I'm like,
1: what? Stop right there.
0: (laughs) (laughs) If somebody burned your mother at the stake, you would not try to seek justice for her? Come on come on. Like if somebody is so important to you, you know? And so my, I certainly don't want to imagine anything terrible happening to my family, but I can connect very strongly with if somebody hurts somebody very close to you, you want vengeance. You need vengeance for them. And Mm. And this is what Azucena is after. She is not a crazy person. Like they make fun of the, you know, switching the bait. Like she's going through utter and complete chaos and the most painful day of her life. Yeah, mm-hmm. she didn't go like, okay, well, no, you know, she just did something that was emotional. And, and I connect to that very, very deeply. Um, mm-hmm. And so, yeah, this is a way that, you can use something that is in your own life to connect with a character.
1: Mm. And I think it comes back to, if you're going to play a character, you have to love them. You have to find what it is that makes them human just like you and makes, makes you love them.
0: Yeah. I don't say you have to love them, mm. um, but you have to find an authentic point of connection. Because, you know, like for instance, this summer we did a, a, a workshop of Jake Heggie's new piece, Intelligence. Um, and one of the guys was playing this horrible pompous racist uh, who would speak very violent language towards, you know, or towards the black, towards the enslaved people. Mm-hmm. Um, and he had to find a way to sing that role. You don't have to love that person, but you do have to find an authentic place to sing it or else it's always just like a commentary on something and we'll never buy it as an, as an audience.
1: Mm-hmm. So, you yeah. don't have
0: to love them, but you have to find a point of, you also have these human desires that I have and I can use that to put on your coat.
1: Mm. I love that thank you for that perspective Mm. so that kind of brings us to to the afflicted I'm obviously fast forwarding a lot but we've actually talked about this before because i was so inspired by your work on that but I'm curious about what was the genesis of making this um this beautiful music video which will be linked in the show notes of you singing to the afflicted that you did during lockdown when we were all in a tizzy wondering like what the hell should we be doing with our lives Mm -hmm. and then this this beautiful like hopeful sad piece comes out where did that begin
0: um so we talked about being kind of in the hustle part of the career and just trying to like make it like, recognize me, I can sing too. And especially after I was predominantly in Europe, I, I, I felt quite abandoned by America and, and, mm. I, and I didn't understand why people wouldn't hire me here. And so LA Opera did a big coming home. Like I got to do a debut at Eury- of Eurydice, Matt O'Coyne's piece. And then that led to a jump in performance of Sada in Roberto Devereux, And I got one performance and then I was, you know, you when, when you have like one chance and you're like, okay, I want to fix this and this and this and this and this for my next performance. And then I was like, here's the next performance. Oh, lockdown. Hmm. So I, I never got to have that second performance. So I went home. And, um, you know, I was in a, in a funk, like all of us were in a funk, just completely restless and just kind of in shock and having no idea what was, what was happening, what was next. And I started small for my own sanity. I started just going to the piano and singing leader to myself. Uh, just to kind of comfort myself. That's always been kind of home as leader and art song. Um, And and recorded a couple of those, called them heart song, terrible production value, but they made me feel better. (laughs) And it was like sharing. So it was nice. And then I was like, you know what? But I want to do, I'm still connected to Sara from Devereaux. And... Then we were in the middle of, of all of the turmoil after the murder of George Floyd. And then um, then all of the Black Opera Alliance conversations were happening. And still I still had Sara a la flito dolce el pianto, you know, because all of a sudden I I felt the affliction like so many people in America, overseeing so much injustice. And also just as artists suddenly completely out of, out of everything, you know? But her words still rang true. And all of a sudden, while sitting in my sadness, I was singing her and her words still made sense. Mm -hmm. And I was like, wait, (laughs) wait. So, so then I was like, but I can give myself my own second performance. Mm -hmm. I don't need somebody to give me my second performance. I will create it. Um, And and so then I was like, "Okay, energy, (laughs) an idea, and and I got on Craigslist of all places and tried to see who was around because I didn't know anybody in Dallas. I had never really worked there professionally. Found some videographers, found somebody who was an audio engineer, uh, connected with an old pianist that I knew, and off we went. I tried to get like fancy places like Bass Hall, and they're like, "That'll be ten thousand dollars." I'm like, oh. <laughs> "I don't know. I don't have any money." <laughs> <laughs> Wait, you misunderstand. Not you not. misunderstand. Not, not, not. <laughs> This is love. This is love project. This is not money-making project. So like literally so many people gave of themselves in the end. I went on Airbnb and found a space and the, I, I just wrote to them because it was this mansion on a hill, like 22 acres. I was like, so I'm an opera singer and I really want to make a thing, but I can't afford your, $1,300 a night mansion. Is there any way we could just use a few hours between your Airbnb guests to, to record here? And the response back was two words, wish granted. Yeah. <laughs> oh ah. For, no money. For no money. They charged us nothing. They gave us more than a few hours. We had a whole like half a day to be in there. Um, the videographer charged me like next to nothing. The audio engine, like every the the pian like everybody was just kind of giving generously of their time and undercharged because all of us just wanted to to create something meaningful. Hmm. And you know, at the end, it was it was an outpouring of love, of our own trauma, of our own need for healing, and. I was so grateful that so many people connected to it mm. since we were all kind of going through the same thing at, at various, various levels.
1: Yeah. When you reach out to people with this, like, look, I have this thing in my heart and it's, it's going to be a labor of love. I got nothing. Uh, <laughs> it's an interesting conversation that I'm having with uh, a lot of artists right now about how there is this difference between the institutions, the funded institutions and us as creators and artists who, who have something in our bellies that needs to get out. And maybe we don't have, we don't have what we need to tell a granting agency, Hey, look, we are actually capable of this. Mm -hmm. So we have to go on that kind of ask. Yeah. And um, I'm curious just for people who are, interested in making this kind of thing. What is that ask like? How do you approach that?
0: I think first of all, it's important to, to know who you're asking uh, because I was asking like millionaires on Airbnb. It was not gonna hurt them. It was not gonna make them not survive. Uh, the, the video engineer is a very successful commercial guy but doing something artistic was something he'd never gotten to do. So it was something interesting for him to do. Also not hurting his survival. The pianist still had a job throughout the pandemic. She was still teaching piano lessons. So also important to recognize who you're asking. So it's not necessarily selfish when people say, no, we artists need to survive, <laughs> you know? So I think the first thing is finding something that is valuable to that person, because it's not all, you know, it wasn't to the millionaires, (laughs) but that was just them doing something nice. But normally when I'll ask something, I, I start with compliments. (laughs) Then I say, you know, what this will do for you. And then I'll say, and also this is very meaningful to me. And that's mm-hmm. what my asks usually look like. Mm-hmm. And because people, would... are, people are kind of selfish often. Um, mm-hmm. So they need to know what's in it for them. Uh, but also when when you're asked to do something, you also want to know what's in it for you. So I think that's always an important part to put in an ask.
1: Sure. And I, um, what I see in, in both of your movies, which I'm excited to get into the next one, is there is a much larger why and is that a thing, is that a thing that you approach people with as like, this is, this is the big why do you connect with that? She's nodding her head, everyone.
0: <laughs> no, for sure, for sure. And I, and I think during the pandemic, everything is, is different. And in the causes of social justice, when you're speaking to like-minded people, when you're getting behind something that's really important, that also is what's important. You know, that's, that's saying what's in it for you is that you get to be a part of something really important and something necessary and something that pushes opera forward. Um, Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's also very much, very much a part of it. And, and it's not, This is again, the crossroads of saying something that's true, but also practically beneficial. So it's meaningful. You're always honest about things, but also being very intentional about what's in it for people. Mm -hmm. Even if it's something altruistic.
1: Mm -hmm. And it was a, um, to the afflicted, Was a fundraiser for Black Opera Alliance,
0: right? And
1: I was actually curious, how did it do?
0: It was if you know,
1: I mean, it's okay if you don't know.
0: No, no. Well, I mean, it was it was the start of our GoFundMe. It's why we opened the GoFundMe, Uh so that if people saw to the afflicted and they wanted to give because they believed in helping artists and helping the cause of Black artists and administrators in opera. You know, it was, it was something that they could donate to. And so we just, I think it might still be up, but the last I saw, it was over $15,000 that have been, yeah, that have been raised for Black Opera Alliance emerging artists. Right now they're releasing many grants that people can uh, apply for, that BOA members can apply for of 250 dollars so that they can get recordings done for their pre screens and that is money directly that was donated in that GoFundMe for the next generation of opera singers so it was it, I'm super super proud to have been part of that and that my work has been able to to create opportunities for other singers um of course, it's something that has been ongoing. It was just opened with and for the music video, but it's turned yeah. into so much more. Um, it was actually the first I had seen that
1: there was a that there was an avenue to donate to Black Opera Alliance. Right. It's like a lot of us, even who are kind of plugged in, didn't understand. Like you can, you can actually put money behind this. Right. And I think it's such a. It's a beautiful cause because it's a cause that we're actually all wrestling with. Mm-hmm. So basically, especially anyone under 30 right now in opera, is like, wait, how are you supposed to pay for this? How are you right. even supposed to pay to have an opera career? Correct. And so this, this banding together and saying, you know what, if we want fellow Black singers to be in opera, then we need to put our money behind it. Right. Link will be in show notes. So go over there, open up your pocketbook right now. You you can press pause. We'll wait.
0: (laughs) Um, And it's a 501c3 now, so it's tax deductible. There you go.
1: And so that leads us to Brown Sounds. I watched Brown Sounds, and it was one of those moments where you're being so inspired by another artist that you actually, you barely even see it, like almost like your vision is blurry. You're just like, oh, my God, this is yes. Yes, this is it. This is it. This is what it should be. (laughs) I realized yesterday watching it for maybe the fifth time, I was like, I was I was finally getting to the point where I was just being able to see all of the different elements Mm -hmm. and like actually really watch your performance because it's this like this flood of beauty, Mm. really. And it's I don't know that go watch it. Links in the show notes. Um, and Washington Post said, if classical music keeps one thing during the pandemic, let it be the opera short. Mm. Freaking love that. Yes, let us keep the opera short, everyone. So it was a digital short co-produced by you with LA Opera and Earl Compass projects of Henry Dumas's poem set by Ayana Witter Johnson. Also totally worth a YouTube like rabbit hole Ayana Witter Johnson.
0: Holy crap, she
1: is cool.
0: She's so cool. She's she's literally one of the coolest people I know. And I've just I fangirled over because we went to Manhattan School of Music, and when I just got there, she was in the i the Apollo <laughs> Apollo Theater like competition and like cleaned the floor, and so I was always fangirling over her. Um, and so we talk about Brown sounds. Brown sounds I first had an encounter with as a poem. It was a Black History Month program at International House. And uh, the dramaturg who was there, uh, Lunga Radebe, um, he, he gave me the assignment to speak the poem Brown Sounds for that Black, Op- Black History Month program. And so we would meet at nights and work on it dramatically and just living in those words, in those colors was was something I had never really gotten to experience before. He's also a director and an actor. And so just tasting all of the colors of that poetry were something that were so beautiful. So then when the time came to perform my recital, I was like, I'm not done with brown sounds yet, (laughs) you know? And so I asked Ayana, who was my, you know, who I totally fangirled over, who was a composition major, if she would set the music of brown sounds. And so I got to sing it for my grad recital. And I had my aunt um, dance, who is a former member of the Urban Bushwomen. So it was this amazing Uh, unification of the music and the dance Mm. from the beginning Mm -hmm. and so after to the afflicted which was kind of so raw and dealt so much with this this violence against black people I started to 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 want to get away from this ugliness that was always in front of us every day you turn on the news and and it's it's somebody else is getting shot mm-hmm. and And if you hear anything about black history, it's about slavery. Here's a new slave movie. Look, there's a black movie. Oh, it's a slave movie, you know? And I was like, you know what, but there's so much more to us. It's not just that. We're not always just murdered and enslaved. We also have this rich history. We existed before history. We have (laughs) this ancestry that, that, just you know has gone on and on and on and there's so much beauty and so i wanted to reclaim that and just celebrate the beauty and the royalty that is blackness mm-hmm. and so that is where brown sounds came from from that desire to just show blackness in its in its true unadulterated unapologetic form and so I was able to find this fabulous all Black team of creators. Alan Virgo, who's a fashion designer. You know, we talked about Henry Dumas, the poet. Um, Jeremy Adonis was a fabulous Black filmmaker mm-hmm. in, in Brussels. Uh, Jeremy, uh, ex- excuse me, uh, Latif Williams, who is a dancer at the Royal Ballet in Antwerp as well, Opera Ballet Vlaanderen. So just these, all these amazing creatives coming together to lend their heart to showcasing black excellence and black beauty. Mm. And I was so happy that um, Oral Compass Projects first was, was like, let's do this. Had uh, you pitched
1: it to them or did they approach you asking for a project? You
0: know, they approached me and were like, do you, we saw you did to the afflicted want to make something else
1: i think that's such a powerful lesson like do a thing yes and you have no idea who's going to see it yes yeah and knowing that also as a producer as someone who has tried to make things you're looking around and you don't know who you don't know who's out there like Mm -hmm. so if you're like at home and you don't have anything you don't you haven't shown anything then that the person who's looking for you is not going to find you
0: correct Correct. To the afflicted, so many people who I had never spoke to wrote me and invited me to do things Wow! because I made something, um, all over the world because it also was an official video of world opera day. So it kind of went all over the place and a lot of people saw it. Yeah. So, um, I had that wonderful experience with, 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 oral companies, that opportunity. And so from there, now when we had had this idea to create Brown Sounds, Oral Compass is projects is, is young and hungry and, mm-hmm. and really want to create good, but they're still young. And you know, the, the budget that they were working with did not like all of my biggest hopes and dreams that I wanted to accomplish with this project could not be done with that budget. So then I, I, I decided to reach out to LA Opera and I kind of just slid in the DMs of Joshua Winograd. I was like, Sonic, <laughs> we wanna do this thing. <laughs> Is there any way that you guys would be willing to come on board as co-producers? And he was really excited about it. He shared it with Christopher Kelch and they were like, you know what? Here's the money. Go do something beautiful. Mm. And it was it was it was so empowering. And and they 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 didn't have any kind of regulations on it. They were just like, go execute your vision, mm. which was such a such a beautiful <laughs> um, act of trust mm. that I so appreciated. But they had seen already what had been done with To the afflicted with like very little budget. So Brown Sounds was now being able to just focus on the creation and create the big expansive landscapes that we really wanted, wanted to create. And so we were able to rent the, the greenhouse in Brussels and that's that beautiful green forest. That you see in the beginning. Um, And where was the other space? The other space is at the Royal Conservatory of Antwerp. Okay. Um, And did you just, you heard me talk?
1: Did it, did all this happen in Brussels just because you happened to be there at the time or was it, I know the people in Brussels, I'm going to get myself there and make this there?
0: No. So originally we were going to film it in Texas and we were literally a few days away from filming the same, the same uh, filmmaker that made to the afflicted was going to make Brown sounds, but we were in the middle of the borders shutting down in Europe and they had just changed the protocol for quarantine. And so the casting director in Antwerp called me cause I was going to do an Ariadne Naxos in Antwerp, just virtually. And he called me and he was like, so I know you were planning on leaving in a week, but you now have to be in quarantine for 10 days before you start rehearsals. So can you come tomorrow? Oh my God. <laughs> so that kind of threw away all of our filming plans because I didn't want to wait another, you know, however many months before creating it. Um, so therefore I had to find a whole new team in Brussels and that's the team that created Brown Sounds.
1: Wow, that is some resilience. There's <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: like, I'm, I'm in the process
1: of learning how to make my own stuff now. And like hearing your stories, there's so many moments where I'm like, I would have just fallen apart. I would have just fallen the fuck apart. <laughs> I just feel really like I'm sorry, LA Opera. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Now it's this beautifully moving short film music video that has gone around the world and collected a whole bunch of recognition. What is that like? Because I know you like as a singer, you're always you're always making it right there in front of everybody and then kind of waiting to see what people thought of it that's kind of how competitions work right correct and now you know you know what they're gonna see and it's just going out there you don't even have to be there and then you're just getting these notifications what is that how is that what is that for a I don't know a mindfuck if you will
0: I don't know that it's any less scary
1: really (laughs) wow
0: I don't know Like especially before to the afflicted because that was the first one the night before I couldn't sleep I just felt so anxious I was like are people gonna think I'm a complete idiot like who am I to just like I'm a creator now I'm doing this and this and you know like is this really stupid that I've done and you kind of you know you you hit the post and you're like oh this like moment of 10 seconds is anyone gonna like it and then you know and then and then it it worked out they did like it but (laughs) and it was it was the exact same with brown sounds I was going through it with LA because LA actually pushed the post button for brown sounds but I was still there like oh (laughs) because it's still you're still very naked and you're sharing a part of yourself that you've never shared with people in this way and you don't know if they're gonna accept that part of you this is when I'm not being good at (laughs) differentiating the product but we don't always succeed
1: (laughs) I find it so comforting to hear you say that (laughs) Because I think when we're on the outside and we're seeing people make things, we just think, God, she's just fearless or it's not hard for her or, you know, these are the fairy tales I tell myself while making this while making this podcast where for a lot of it, I'm calling a lot of things into question about our industry and about how we educate our young artists and like the ways we even think of ourselves as artists. And I cannot tell you the amount of sleep I have lost while While my head is, my brain is just literally like, who are you to even do this? Like, I think I'm wondering if some of it is like, I was actually listening to a speech by Brene Brown yesterday that she gave specifically to creatives. And, Mm. And she said, you know, your job as creators, as artists, it's not just to get there into the arena. It's not just to walk up those steps and step out there it's you walk up those steps and step out there and then you have to get naked.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think especially, yeah. I think, especially when it's this, it's this thing that's coming from deep inside you. It's, it's this thing that is definitely your voice. This was Rhiann, the Ray, Damn it. I'm saying it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> this was Rhiann Bryce Davis. Brown sounds is, has so much of you in it. And I'm, I'm noticing, making an opera is gonna have a, a shit ton of me in it. And I, <laughs> actually a lot more of me than I can stand. Um, and I'm having to come to terms with that. And um, and that that is different, that has been different for me than being on stage and putting on the coat of somebody else. Mm. And being able to kind of have that and like lean into that. Is there that sort of, is that kind of what you're talking about or what you're feeling when when those, the product and the personal kind of are melding?
0: Right. Um, I think I've had a lot more experience when the product and the personal are melding in concert because I do a lot of recitals And then that's also a space that it's, it's pure and unadulterated you that's coming out. But in general, I'm always, I'm always very afraid. (laughs) My whole, my whole career I've been very afraid. I have terrible stage fright. Like I have a long list of coping mechanisms that I have to step on stage every time. Mm. Um, And that's always been the case.
1: Are you okay sharing some of them?
0: Sure. I mean, I have to, I start with really high hype vampy music to just like get out of my head. Well, first of all, the day of a show, I refuse to think or speak about the show. Like this is a regular day. I have, there's nothing happening tonight. There's nothing important. All I have to do is watch this Netflix show and that's all I'm doing. Nothing's happening afterwards. So I very consciously like block that out so I don't have time to like get in my head and all the inner voices to torment me. Um, Then once I get to the theater, uh, like I have like hype music like, oh, we're just partying. There's nothing else happening, woo, I love this song. Um and then the music slowly like vibes into this more still inspired, earthy place that gets me like connected to my body and feel yes, here we are. Um if it's if it's like a competition, uh Chasing the Sun by Sarah Borellis is my my inspiration and I have headphones that I listen to that song on repeat. I everybody knows that they should not speak to me. <laughs> I mean if somebody comes and they're like, oh my gosh, congrats. So different spaces for like if you're creating an opera and and you know it's all your colleagues and like toy then then you' then I'm, I'm involved in the like
1: Then toy, toy,
0: toy. <laughs> <laughs> you're back to your headphones. But like for a competition, I'm very uh, I've always been very um, intentional about being in charge of the energy around me. And so the headphones are a good sign to be like, leave her alone. Sometimes I'll be a total weirdo and like have my head in a corner. <laughs> like if there are too many people around, they like, oh my gosh, there's so many people. Oh my gosh, did you hear the New York Times is there? Oh my gosh, how did she do? Oh my gosh, they're so amazing through the wall. Like I do not need any of that energy. So I literally like stem and stare at the wall and like listen to my Sarah Varela like, the ground at your feet and the inspired and the blah, 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 you know, just kind of being in charge of my energy. So I'll, I'll do something similar, even if it's, even if it's during opera, of course, easier with a dressing room, um, and leaving space for people who just want to add to the positivity. And, and I keep those headphones on literally until I walk on stage. And then I just like throw it behind me. I throw the headphones, like, so I'm, contru- I'm completely in charge of the energy around me and as I make my entrance. So I don't have time for the voices. Wow. Um, my sister is a therapist and she, you know, she's always trying to talk to me about changing your thoughts, changing your thoughts. And I'm like, yeah, well, I'm not as good at it as you are. So I just had music change my thoughts.
1: <laughs> I'm kidding. So. I'm just plugging in. Okay. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, I know some people, yeah, I really just use music very intentionally to create the things that I need in my body the hype music, the dance music for energy, and then the calming music for like, here we go. Mm.
1: Mm. <laughs> and that's what you'll be doing when you go off to La
0: Scala. Oh my gosh, I'm going to need so much. <laughs> I'm going to need a really good playlist. <laughs> Because the big ones are hard, Mm. they're hard. And, and, And it's so much, I mean, our career is, some people don't have it, some people don't have the nerves and they're fine. But I've always had imposter syndrome. And especially when I was younger, I had so many technical issues and I was always very aware of them. And I was like, I'm gonna now compete in this competition to see if I'm the best opera singer in the world. (laughs) which is ridiculous but I was like no I want to get to there and the steps to get to there are I have to do this so I'm gonna do this even though I'm terrified and I don't feel like I belong here but I'm going to there so let's go (laughs) Mm -hmm. so that's where my like being intentional overrode the terror that is doing the things that that you're doing whether it's doing competitions doing auditions performing in an opera releasing a video the terror has always been inside and the insecurity but the the end goal was worth it
1: Mm. I kind of I think I guess I just want to close with this quote from you Um, because I I have to go pick up my son now unfortunately I mean I love my son but I could talk to you all day (laughs) He's great, too. Not much of a conversationalist, although although we are starting to get a few words. (laughs) Um, But you you told Black women in opera this beautiful thing about going to La Scala. She hopes to create exceptional art that moves listeners beyond intellectual analysis as she brings honesty, peace, beauty, healing and blackness into the lives of everyone who hears her. Do you feel like you're doing it
0: i'm sure trying <laughs> i'm sure trying i think i think you have to um opera is is a field that takes so many different aspects and, you know, whenever you walk off the stage, there's, there's a diction person that gives you notes. There's a coach that comes and gives you notes. There's a conductor, there's a director there. You know, there's so many elements of just the technical creating of, of opera that, that you have to always be striving to master. But I think it's so important to do that work because when all of that work is done to the best of your ability then people can stop nitpicking for things that are wrong and just then see oh what else is there oh there's a world in there mm. there's humanity in there and then they can just be and they can experience and ideally just be moved wrestle with their own moral issues that that you know maybe touched upon in the in the show that they're seeing or in the art that they're they're experiencing so it's it's always my struggle to not struggle always my goal to grow in all of the technical aspects so that I can just live in that other world Mm. (laughs) you know but that's those are always goals. They're always at the end of every performance. I'm like, yeah, well, this p- moment was not connected. This moment was not the blah 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 blah. You know, that's that's always going to be there, and I think that's that's the work of a lifetime. But I'll always consider a performance successful if I stood in that moment and I lived that experience fully, because that's what's most most important. And I was happy I heard that when I was very young. Uh, my teacher, Dr. Kim, <laughs> I was standing up to do a recital after I had had a terrible lesson and I sounded absolutely atrocious to myself and probably to everyone else. And she was like, yes, yeah, okay, it's not great. But at every level of our artistry, you perform, you share, you give. Mm-hmm. And so that's the end goal is giving and sharing and inspiring people and ideally helping them connect with somebody who often looks different than they do, you know, and so they experience pure unadulterated blackness because that is always part of who I am. And also part of who I am is someone always striving for excellence and beauty and humanity, because that I feel like is the end goal of what we're all striving for Mm. in opera, which many would say is the highest of all art forms because we combine all of the human possibilities in one art form.
1: Mm.
0: Thank you, Rianne. Thank you, my dear.
1: Thank you so much for listening to the final episode of this first season of Making It an Opera. You can find all things Ryan Bryce Davis at www.rayanne.com. That's R A E H A N N. Follow her on Instagram at Rayanne Bryce Davis and Twitter at Ryan BD. Links to her videos will be in the show notes, as well as a link to donate to the Black Opera Alliance to help them continue their important work. We'll be back with more interviews in February. In the meantime, I want to make sure you check out the excellent panel discussions that happened last week, one held by the Black Opera Alliance in collaboration with Opera America, and another whole festival of discussions held by Black women in opera. Each of them were eye-opening, moving, and each will bring us all forward in our thinking in whatever ways our lives touch the art of opera. They are linked in the show notes, and you can also find them in the spreadsheet of resources you can access on www.makinitinopera.com. As Rayanne says, in the end, this art is about helping each other see our humanity. What a responsibility. I want to thank each one of my guests this season. Trey, Julie, Anastasia, Daniel, Lisa, Perry, Charlotte, and Rayanne. Thank you for taking the time to talk with me. Thank you for bringing the whole depth and breadth of who you are to our conversations. And thank you for giving me courage. Thanks also to Angie Jordan, Sarah Decker, and the whole team at Podcast Launch Bestie. Without your support, I never would have finally sat down to make this stupid show. Lastly, thank you to my friends, who listened to me dream about this for years without shaming me for not getting started. And to my husband, Julian, who listened to me agonize over every tiny decision. And my son, Gustav, whose greatest gift to me has been perspective. This podcast is a production of Sounds Like Cool with editing by me and production help from Sarah Decker. Theme music is Our Block Party by Reactor Productions. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you did, remember to subscribe, leave us some love on Apple Podcasts and check us out on Instagram, At makingit.opera to stay updated and become part of the conversation. You can also go to makingitanopera.com or follow the link in the show notes to support the podcast. I'm Gwendolyn Kuhlman. Thank you for listening. I'll see you next time.